KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The Temple University School of Pharmacy is joining several other institutions in working on the development of frameworks and plans to optimize medication and vaccine use in the U.S. It's called the Rapid Alliance Medications 360 Study, and we wanted to learn more about it. So we caught up with Dr. Van Hellerslea. She is a clinical associate professor at the Temple University School of Pharmacy, also an assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at the Lewis Katz School of Medicine. Interesting stuff. Give a listen. To start, what is the Rapid Alliance Medications 360 study? What is this all about? There is a over $500 billion problem that exists in the U.S. population, and that is that there's non-optimized medication use. You know, we we think about uh, medications that should be used to help people get better, but what if they're not used properly? They're not adhered to, or maybe there's a side effect that no one paid attention to, and it may have led to a ER visit or a hospitalization. So that's what we say about non-optimized medication use. Uh, so what um, this study uh, did was um, uh, was a, a National Science Foundation funded study from the uh, University of Louisville uh, School of Public Health, uh, looking to understand well. Uh, there is this problem. So how do we um, best um, ensure that pharmacists who are well positioned to uh, be at the intersection of the medication use and patients to improve uh, their capacity in which we can uh, improve medication use? So what they did was they uh, worked with pharmacy uh, sectors from across the country to identify the barriers and then come up with uh, what are some strategies that are necessary, you know, really understanding um, how could we uh, work towards this uh, health and well-being for everyone. And they found that some of the major barriers that exist um, is that pharmacy has traditionally been thought of as a product dispensing a product, uh, whereas um, the, the idea of, of a service that's really required to help us think about how to best use these medications, that service that's offered by pharmacists is not incentivized, it's not paid for. And so there's a lack of a, a payment model that could support such a practice model. Uh, and then there is a lack of uh, IT infrastructure to help uh, continue to make that interoperable and scalable. Um, and then there's also fragmentation as a result of that. Um, and a lack of a, a more global ecosystem, so to speak, so that we could really um, develop research priorities and uh, develop ways in which we can um, think about this problem smartly. What will, I guess for lack of a better term, what will Temple's role be? Does everybody kind of do the same thing? Do Mm -hmm. different schools focus on different avenues? Kind of what will you at Temple be looking at? We can participate in any level. So you could actually participate as an individual, um, as a university research partner, as a strategic action partner, as a funding partner. And so actually, I initially signed up as an individual because this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. And I thought that it was a really meaningful um, uh, uh, effort. And so I wanted to get be a part of it. But when I saw that the universities could be a research partner, I thought, 
I wonder if anybody from Temple is doing this because this is really important. And Temple, with all of its um, research efforts and its, you know, its its place in, in the city, I f- figured that, you know, that we would be a great partner. So I was able to um, convince the powers that be that Temple should be um, really part of this. And somehow or another, I'm able to lead this effort, which I, I'm so thrilled about. So what does it mean to be a research partner? Uh, means that I would then uh, work to reach out to strategic action partners. Who could I reach out to that sees this as a problem as well and that might want to co-create the solution with me and so they get a seat at the table. The other piece is to also find funding partners who also see that this may be philanthropic organizations who might see that this is important and meaningful and willing to help fund us to do this. Um, My special interest in this is really looking at immigrant health. Um, I'm an immigrant myself. I was a refugee um, and I have um, faced firsthand the challenges of accessing healthcare. And now that I am in a position where I'm a pharmacy educator, a clinician, a uh, and now uh, part of a research team, I think it's my moral obligation to really marry the two, right? It's like, how do I optimize medications and how can I care for the immigrant population um, in such a way that um, that is scalable? Uh, and so I'm hoping to continue to reach out uh, to uh, various strategic uh, action partners uh, and funding partners um, to help us come up with the uh, analysis of, of perhaps one of our greatest needs, what are the barriers that exist, and how will we overcome them? How much of the problems faced that you talked about in the in your first answer are, I don't know how to put this, kind of the result of capitalism that people want to protect their area or they get to optimize profits by doing it X and Y. And I don't necessarily even mean in bad faith, but it's just kind of business at work. Well, um, that, that, that there may be a potential, you know, contribution of that. Cause I was saying earlier, when we think about pharmacy as a kind of, um, uh, a product, you know, based economy, so to speak, you know, here's a drug, we dispense a drug, but, um, what about, you know, the, the, the value that's added to the service, right? And so we can still, I think, have models that incentivize that type of service that, that can be provided. And so I think it's just really a matter of like relooking at what is it that we value as a society, right? It's not just the drug transaction and be done, but rather what does it mean to care for the patient um, even with this product? Uh, so, so that my value to you is not just this product. My value to you is to help you care for you to take this product properly. In looking at the information on the study, it said medicines and vaccines, and obviously vaccines very much at the top of everyone's mind. How does the approach, is there a different approach for medications and for vaccines with regards to this study? Do you look at them differently? Are there different issues that have to be corrected? Well, I mean, obviously there will be some logistical issues, right? Because they're, you know, in terms of products. But I think fundamentally, um, I think it's about how do we engage our community to really be able to address what's most meaningful to them and to be able to provide value to them by meeting those needs for them in a way that's patient centric. I 
find personally some of the hesitancy that I have encountered with patients, um, friends who are hesitant about the vaccine um, comes from misinformation, quite frankly. And so just being able to have a very honest conversation and just be able to meet people where they are. And just say, okay, I understand that you're not ready and I'm okay. I'm not here to force you to do anything. I just want to understand kind of where you're coming from. And then if I can relate, um, allay any fears or any concerns, um, you know, then, then we're moving forward. And all of that, of course, is predicated fundamentally by a relationship that of trust. And so, um, if you don't trust me and what I have to say, it doesn't matter whether or not I have the truth or not. You're not going to listen to me. But if you have a relationship with me and you know what I'm about and you know that I have always operated under with, with your well-being in mind, then you trust me. You trust what I'm going to say. And so I believe that at the foundation of all of this, it's how do we how do we create um mechanisms that promote that kind of relationship building, leveraging that to be able to really, um, again, improve the service that we provide and, and improve the health and well-being of our patients. Listening to you talk, are the bigger challenges logistical or empathetic? Mm, that's a great question. I would say that there's probably a little bit of both. Uh, we recognize that there's a lot of fragmentation within the current models that we have. And when there's a lot of fragmentation, and we know that there's a lot of fragmentation, it's easy for people to become demoralized and go, oh, this is so broken, how are we ever going to fix it? Why try? But what some of the implementation science that we're learning is that there are actually strategies that can be placed that can overcome that inertia, so to speak. And one of those things is called a triggering mechanism. And the idea is a triggering mechanism can happen because of maybe legislation or maybe because of widespread key stakeholder agreement that says, yes, I believe that this is wrong. We got to do something and I'm committed to doing something. And that is what's happening at the Rapid Alliance. Right. So currently, there is no funding specifically for me as an organization to spend the time that I'm doing right now to be part of these meetings. Why am I part of these meetings? Because I am intrinsically motivated to fix this problem. And if I'm with a bunch of other people who are intrinsically motivated to fix this problem, you can feel the energy. It's kind of funny. We're kind of feeling our, we're literally feeling our way to a solution. And it is based on this shared value that we see something that could be fixed, that could be optimized. And we believe that if we work together, that synergy can happen. So there's a, there's a, a lot of good faith in here that's happening. Um, and there's some foundational kind of values that we're, we're all abiding in. And again, like who comes, who, who volunteers their time, you know, to do this unless you're really wanting to fix this problem. Looking at the information about the study, it talks about half a trillion dollars that could be avoided if you come up with optimization strategies that, that work and stuff. Is there a certain area where most of that financial loss is? I'm sure it is not just one thing, but are there one or two areas that really lead to 
where a lot of that that money I don't know if wasted is the word, but that kind of goes out the window. It's those two pieces. It's um, failure of treatment, right? So um, the wrong drug was selected, not the best drug was selected. So it, they, they, they didn't do well. They, they could have done well if they had used a better drug, right? So there's the, the treatment failure. And two is a um, new medication event. So, you know, a side effect that caused them to go to the ER, to the hospital, um, so forth. So those are the two driving forces um, that seem to, to uh, drive the costs associated um, with this lack of optimization. How much responsibility does the patient have? And here, I don't know if responsibility is the word, but the role the patient has to ask questions, to not kind of take no for an answer, or if you don't feel like you're being heard, to keep talking. I mean, uh, you know, you don't, if something's not working to say it's not working. I mean, I, obviously everybody has a role, right. And the patient, we, one of the things that I always advocate for my patients is their own advocacy, you know, advocate for yourself, you know, but the reality is, is that some of that has to do with a sense of agency, right? Do the, do the patients themselves have a sense of agency. And our sense of agency is contingent upon so many factors, right? Our culture, our upbringing, our status in society. And so um, for those who come from a higher socioeconomic status, chances are they're high in self-agency, right? Their ability to advocate, believe they can make a difference. And so they probably already have already great social determinants of health, right? Where they live, the finances, well, so forth. Then if you think about people who are living in lower socioeconomic status, um, either because of poverty, because of the immigrant status, non-English speaking, uh, differences in culture, right? Um, the, the, all of those things, all of those forces um, can prohibit an individual from advocating for themselves because it's like, oh, uh, this is what the doctor says. This is what they say. I just have to follow it. Or this is what I do. And th- that is particularly true, I would say, in many Eastern cultures, right? Very, very paternalistic cultures. Um, and so there's, um, I think that there's opportunities uh, for us to definitely improve the agency of our patients, but to just expect them to have it on themselves. I think it's, it's, it's a little shy of the complete picture. I believe if I read correctly, this will be a little short of a decade that Temple yes. is playing like 2022 to 2031. Yeah. So that's a long time. What are some, give me some ideas of things that you would like to see in a, in a perfect world that, I mean, not that any of this would be easy, but a couple of things that just kind of are glaring that really need to be addressed to make, make this work. Um, I think number one will be the payment models, right? We pay for what we value. And so I believe that one of the main um, drawbacks and barriers that we have is that um, pharmacists are not uh, compensated for their service uh, in doing complete medication management. Um, that is reviewing the medications, reviewing to ensure that they're appropriate for their disease states um, and that they're working and that there's no side effects. Now, that kind of activity does happen in certain subsets, but it's not 
widespread in the community because you think your community pharmacist is your most accessible pharmacy healthcare provider, right? They're in the community, um, but yet they are ill positioned in the in the payment side of things, right? And there's a lack of interoperability in terms of medical health records, you know, with their doctor's office, with the hospital to really be able to get the full picture. Um, and so, so one would be payment models, um, two would be interoperability of um, of health records, um, and then um, it, then from that will be some practice transformation. So you know the space, the, the the time, the you know the the ability to practice doing exactly what we're talking about. And I can tell you that I have developed these things, the the this kind of practice model in the acute care setting, right? Whether that be you know in the critical care unit, whether that be um, you know in the um, general medicine floor on the inpatient service, right? So as a clinical pharmacist in the hospital, I do that with my team, with my healthcare, you know, with the rest of the doctors on the team, we look at the medications and then I can give, you know, feedback as to say, I don't think we should use this drug. We should escalate this drug. Perhaps we should be thinking about another drug. Oh, you know what? We better wash this patient's, you know, um, uh, renal kidney function because, you know, it's looking like it's, it's, you know, teetering because this medication. So we're doing that actively in the acute care setting. But what about the the um, community pharmacy um, that really, like I said, is in the community and is accessible. Um, you know, how can we how can we move what we're doing? You know, in the acute care setting to the community. There, I can tell you that there have been bridges, right? So we have ambulatory care clinic models. So I started a collaborative practice agreement with our MS, our multiple sclerosis specialist, so that I have a pharmacist run multiple sclerosis optimization clinic where I am able to um, see patients on my schedule um, and review their medications and ensure that it's all appropriate. Um, Because here, MS is a very expensive disease to treat. And there's lots of medications um, that are utilized for symptomatic management. And then there's vascular comorbidities. So how do we make sure that the medications, all these medications the patients on, is really what they really need, if not, you know, causing another problem. And so it was a prime kind of area of, of, uh, of, of a patient uh, target population um, that could benefit from this service. And so, uh, and so that's what we did. So, cause I, you know, basically shadowed him um, just to learn about MS patients and how they're kind of in the, um, in the healthcare system. And I was able to identify just being on, just being, spending a day or two to say, you can really use a pharmacist to do X, Y, and Z. And that's how we developed this collaborative uh, agreement. So if this can be done here, why can't we, why can't we try to implement this widespread? I'm curious, and I asked you earlier about, you know, the role kind of, of, of the business and capitalism in this. I'm just, as I'm, I'm hearing you talk and getting the right medication, how much does the cost of medication or the role of insurance play in this where this is the drug you need? It's $976 a pill. I can give you this one for $3. And maybe that one's not as good, but I don't, this one's not covered. That seems like a big hurdle kind of in all this, because I, I think in a, in a area where we're just looking, you know, at what works best and how do we get what works best, but how does the affordability and stuff like that figure into the problem? 
That's a great question, Matt. And um, that is definitely a part of the calculation. You know, when we determine what medication do I send, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, Jones home on uh, based on seizures, right? And I may have identified the best medication, right? Using all my cognitive skills to say, uh, looking at his drug interactions, his diseases, this drug would be best for him. Oh, but uh oh, um, it's a thousand dollars, and um, I'm you know I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, but you know, and and so I you know he's not going to be able to afford this, so I'm going to have to go and find out what's on you know um, Walgreens, you know, for or Walmart's four dollar list, you know, and then choose from that, right? So. Absolutely. Cost is a driver sometimes because um, that's the reality that we live in. Now, I can tell you also, though, that um, sometimes it's, it's really it's also based on the insurance as to what the insurance will cover. Right. What's on their formulary. Um, and some and, and based on the formulary, I only have whatever options I have. And, you know, working, you know, from their perspective, they have to also manage costs as well and be able to provide care for a lot of people. Um, so um, are extraordinary large costs of drugs uh, part of the problem that can also inhibit us from, you know, delivering the best medications? Yeah, I think that that is definitely a possibility, definitely. But Sometimes I can tell you that, let's say, for example, I find the, the best medication and I was able to even get it um, on charity care and I was able to get this patient on this medication. That's all, that's just, so let's just say cost out for just a moment. Um, and the problem is that even with that, um, there are social determinants of health in terms of adherence, whether or not the patient will actually take it. Are they really going to be able to, to continue to, to keep taking their medications? Uh, why is it that they're not taking their medicines? All of those things have to be taken into account. I can tell you a story. I had a patient. We got them the, the, the best drug for them. Um, it was, you know, the insurance company covered it, and it made so much sense for them to be on it. And one of the key points of taking this medication requires them to take it with a full meal. Don't you know, um, when they're talking to the doctor, yep, yep, I'm taking it, I'm taking it. But when I was talking to them in interviewing, just to get a more thorough history, what I found out, um, as I was asking, well, tell me, tell me what your, what, tell me breakfast is like, when do you eat your meals? And so that I could really be able to ascertain whether or not they were taking it with their meals, only to find out the patient doesn't eat regularly because their boyfriend steals their food stamps. So there's food insecurity. Do you know that broke my heart? Because here, you know, you're just assuming everybody eats breakfast, everybody eats a meal, and they when I when I realized that part of things, it was so humbling. Doesn't matter how much I know, doesn't matter if I can even get them access to the right medications, because the pharmaceutical companies, you know, will be able to, you know, facilitate this. There's some bigger social issues, Matt. And uh, it's a much bigger problem that I can handle alone. But I truly believe that um, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling that there's, 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 a, there's other people with broken hearts that feel like they want to be part of the solution. So if we can get together and if we can try to at least move in that direction, it's better than being a sitting duck. That being said, we, we've talked about like a lot of, and I don't uh, – various problems of various size does it 
make it easier or harder to try to attack this when there are multiple small battles that have to be fought as opposed to one giant battle where if the answer was getting the insurance companies to deal with it and if you got that i i guess there's a lot more room for frustration on this chain but also a lot more room for feeling like you are making a difference day to day am i am i yeah does that make sense yeah so i'll tell you matt like you know on a day-to-day when i'm on service at the hospital or i'm in clinic i do the best i can with the patients i have and i lead with care what and this is what i teach my students we do what we can Sometimes there are problems that are bigger than us. And right now in the position that I'm in, I'm on service. This is what I can do. But now, right now, I'm off service, right? Right now I am, you know, teaching and I'm doing, I have my teacher hat, my researcher hat. And then now I think to myself, how can I solve this problem in a larger, through a larger capacity? And this is why when I heard about this, um, I was like, yes, somebody else is feeling this problem and somebody else also wants to do this. So what we're hoping to do within the next year is really looking at creating a framework of how we can create a framework of how we can strategically address this nationally. And, and really, it starts with a framework, right? It starts with being able to really think through um, a framework and a strategy. And then I think from there, we can then, uh, you know, we're, we're incorporating this research consortia. We can think about, okay, now that we have a framework, we have clarity as to like how we want to approach this problem. So now as a research partner, let's come up with research questions and interventions so that we can study so that we can be able to solve this problem in a way that's coordinated and a part of this framework. And yeah, we're not going to solve it overnight. We're not going to solve it in a year. We're probably not going to solve it in 10 years, but we're going to make a whole lot of change, we hope, to how we think differently about the problem and how we could approach the problem in a way that puts the health and well-being of our population at the forefront of what we're doing. And it, and it can only start, I think, with people who are just going to say, I believe in this, I value this. How can we move in that direction? That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.